Welcome to the What About series, where we talk about therapy topics in a highly condensed and easily digested way. Our goal is to help the average person understand some of the more complex or misunderstood aspects of the mental health world. Let's right into it. All right, everybody. Welcome back. Because you listened to our episode on Tuesday, so welcome back. Now it's Thursday. Yeah, welcome back in general to <laughs> another day. Oh, excuse you, Zuko. Yeah, Zuko's having a cough attack here. Okay. At this point, he's just basically our mascot. Yeah, we talk about him every episode. Yeah. Because he's always in here hanging out with us. Yeah. Huh. How's it going? <laughs> <laughs> so, in this episode, we're talking about personalities, and this is really popular these days, I think, because, I mean, especially with our generation, we have these personality tests that are really popular, like the Enneagrams, that's the numbers where you're a certain number. Like I'm an eight, for example, and the eight is the challenger, or I know a couple of my friends, they're nines. My wife is a two, which is like a caregiver. And so we can actually, we'll link these tests down in the description. There's down a few in good the show ones. Notes. Like yeah. The one we're talking about today is the, the ocean um, personality test. It's the most widely one used by, not widely. It's a very popular one. It's it's the, one of the most accurate ones, I guess. That's been like quote unquote accurate, just based off of research has been found. But there's so many good ones out there. There's the yeah. um, we were talking about earlier. I forgot the name. Miles Myers Briggs. Myers Briggs. That yep. one's pretty good. Yeah. Um, a lot of them can be very hard to take because it's all perceptions of yourself and things like that. But uh, specifically with this one, the ocean one that we're going to be talking about, it's very simple. It's very condensed and consolidated. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the other ones, too, like the ones that Enoch is talking about, they've gotten much better over time, a lot smaller, a lot more accurate, and a lot more helpful. And we're going to be talking about it today. Yeah. So we will link those tests in the description, the show notes, so you can go ahead and take those. And it's just fun. And you can see, like for the Enneagrams, for example, you can see on a different website that will also link how each of the numbers interact with one another and how they get along, what the strengths are, what some weaknesses can be to look out for, just things like that. It's really fun. And as we're going to talk about today, um, it can be helpful to understand your own personality traits and your own personality types and your temperament as to better, not better live your life, but to make, to live a life in a way that is maybe more in line with things that come easier to you, like choosing Mm -hmm. jobs and careers or, or a major a career path that fits your personality type a little bit better and to how that personality type relates to other people with their own personality types. Yeah. And so it's not <laughs> integral to your success in life, but it could be helpful to maybe understand yourself a little bit better. Yeah. I mean, and is, this is going to help you too with you know, not putting yourself in situations that you don't want to be in. For example, if you apply for a job that requires you to be really extroverted and you are not, then maybe that's something you can avoid or maybe not apply for that position to be super extroverted because you're not and it can make you feel really uncomfortable and you may not be able to perform up to the standard that they're looking for now we'll talk about later on as well if you can change your personality and those different traits short answer is yes Uh, but just still it's important to know exactly what you are and kind of what your strengths are when it comes to personalities, so then you can start working towards either changing them or focusing on the strengths of them to better fit your life and your 
your goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess we can get right into it and maybe talk about a little bit of the overview of what the ocean personality test is or the ocean personality model is. And it's called the ocean model or the big five model. And it's basically a, a like a scale or a, I don't know if you want to call it, of five different personality traits, which are um, like in the ocean is a, what is that, an acronym? That's what it's called or a. It's an acronym, yeah. So OCEAN is an acronym which stands for openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. And so that's the five different traits that we're talking about when we say the big five, which this specific test um, refers to. And it was, I think, developed by, let's see, it has the name right here somewhere. I think beginning with the research of D.W. Fisk and later expanded expanded upon by the researchers, including, these are just last names, Norman in 67, Smith in 67, Goldberg in 81, and McRae and Costa in 1987. So it's been a long time coming. It's been developed over time. And it was built upon by other personality trait inventories, one that included a list of 4,000 different personality traits, another one that included like 16, other ones included three. And so it was just a combination of a lot of different types of personality inventories. The the researchers and founders of this one specifically wanted to condense all the different personality traits that were used in these other personality inventories. So there wasn't repeats and there wasn't um, like unnecessary, like double questions, I guess. Like there was a lot of questions in these personality inventories that were all just about happiness. So they could all be linked to one other trait. And so the the founders of the ocean model or the big five model, they found ways to just consolidate all those other traits and match them with one of the big five. Mm. So like openness can be linked to creativity and imaginative thoughts, I guess, and openness to new experiences, things like that. Overall um, flexibility, I guess, psychological flexibility. And then conscientiousness can be linked to orderliness, organization, things like that. And then we can go down the line, but it's just these five things represent a number of other traits that are similar to that trait. And so when someone says you're high in openness, that means you're high in a lot of other things, but they just use that word to describe all the other traits as well. Yeah. Hopefully that's making sense. Okay. Before we get too deep into this, this is coming from the article from very well mind. It's just called the big five personality traits. So we'll be going through this and this is going to be guiding our discussion. So we just talked about what they are. Now let's start with openness here. So I do think the article does start off here. It's actually, we'll start here. So it says it's important to note that each of the five personality factors represents a range between two extremes. For example, extroversion represents a continuum between extreme extroversion and extreme introversion. In the real world, most people lie somewhere in between the two polar ends of the dimension, of each dimension. So in each of these categories, there's an opposite to it. So like openness, close, closeness, closed. Yeah, I can't remember the word that is the opposite of openness. I can't remember. Openness, closed. For for now, we'll say that. Um, Anyway, but you get it. And... So all of us lie somewhere in between there. And if you take a test, like one of the Myers-Briggs, for example, like I'm an ENFT 
And when I, after, when it showed me my results, it said I was 52% extroverted, 48% introverted. So, excuse me, you see, I was like right in the middle of that continuum. And that's going to be the same for, for a lot of people. They're, they're not going to be 100% this or 100% that. Yeah, so what you're going to find is like, if you take an inventory, like a big five inventory, it'll just be ranked. Like you'll, you'll be high in openness or mid in conscientiousness, low in mm. agreeableness, things like that. You'll just, it'll match you on a, on a spectrum or a scale. And like Enoch, you're going to say, like Enoch was saying, if 10 was extreme extroversion is zero is extreme introversion. Let's say you get a, a 2.3 or whatever it is. And I don't know. Different inventories yeah. are going to be different. They're going to yeah. be different results and numbers. But it just shows that it's a spectrum and that you can, you're going to lie differently in there. So it's not just that you are open, it's that you are on a scale of openness mm -hmm. somewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we'll start here with openness. The article says this trait features characteristics such as imagination and insight. People who are high in this trait also tend to have a broad range of interests. They are curious about the world and other people and eager to learn new things and enjoy new experiences. People who are high in this trait tend to be more adventurous and creative. People low in this trait are often much more traditional and may struggle with abstract thinking. Now for me, off the top of my head, I'm definitely definitely somewhere in the middle on this too. Me too. Like I, I'm not a super open person. I really like my ways and my ways of doing things and my... Mm -hmm. Uh, habits, traditions. So it's hard for me to go out and change those. And I think that's why being married is such such a great mm -hmm. way to expand who you are because yeah. your significant other, they say opposites attract, and it's usually true where if you're really extroverted, your spouse or your partner may be really introverted. Did I say extroverted first? I forgot what I said. Honestly, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking too deeply. That shows how good I was listening, I guess. But I was thinking about what you were saying. Oops. Uh, there we go. We can work on our listening skills. And if you didn't know either as you're listening, we can all work on our listening skills together. Yeah, I guess you have the ability to hit the back 15 seconds. Yeah, you have the little button. That I guess we could you. too. We're recording it and just go back. It's not yeah. a big deal. <laughs> anyway, you get what I'm trying to say. Opposites attract. And so... I think that's why it's great to be in a relationship. Yeah. And I guess before we got too far along in like talking about these traits, there's just a couple of things that I wanted to bring up. Um, from the great mind of Jordan Peterson, we talk about him all the time. Mm -hmm. He's one of the, if you, if you really break it down, he's one of the world leading experts in personality, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. After reading his literature, watching hours and hours and hours of his lecture, he really has a good idea of what personality is and why it's important and how it relates to the world of psychology. And I was listening to a couple of lectures and interviews he was doing on um on the big five on personality traits in general and there's a couple of things that he said that really stood out to me and this is just pulling from one of his uh his lectures that i found um one of them he says that traits are are just patterns of behavior and so if you can think about all these five traits these five things we're going to be talking about just as patterns of behavior ways that you live your life and that what a, a person what a person is is a melody of different traits and so these different traits create who you are and that's kind of what um, Dr. Peterson talks about in a lot of his lectures that it's that why it's important to understand who you are and it's important to understand your personality traits and things like this is because it understands who you are, the melody of your person. I think that's what he says hmm. in the uh, in the lecture that I was listening to, and uh, I'm probably going to quote him later on. But 
Um, one thing that I, I think is really important, one thing that he says is that it's, an, it's, it's useful to know your traits so that you can orient your life because it's difficult to work contrary to your traits. Yeah. And we talk about that a lot in regards to like values and things that are important to you. Like if you live out of accordance to your values, you're going to have a pretty anxious or depressed or just unmeaningful life. And it's kind of the same thing with living outside of your personality traits. Not to say that you can't do it or shouldn't do it, but like Enoch was saying at the beginning, if you take a, a job that requires maybe someone who's a little bit higher openness or a little bit higher extroversion, and you're pretty low in openness or pretty low in in uh, an extroversion, you're more introverted. I don't know if I said that twice. I can't remember. No, you didn't. Okay, good. I'm listening. Um, I lost myself halfway through. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't listening to myself. Um, then that might be a little more difficult to you for you. You might have a harder time with that job. So I guess that's the reason yeah. we're doing this episode is to help yeah. everyone understand, even ourselves understand, the importance of understanding yourself so you can make decisions in your life and make maybe career choices, major choices, maybe even relationship choices that can have the ability to be a little bit more manageable for you. Yeah. So that way it's not as stressful and anxious. And we're going to talk about later that it's possible to change your personality and to develop different traits and maybe become a little yeah. more extroverted. But it is also still important to know how you are biologically, just out of the womb, what your temperament is like. Just give yourself a little bit of an easier time. Mm-hmm. So right. end of rant. Yeah. Good rant. <laughs> so with openness, we, so there are two categories, the high and the low with all of these that we can go through here. So a highly open person would be very creative. They'd be open to trying new things. They're focused on tackling new challenges and they're happy to think about abstract concepts. Okay. Now people with low openness or they're more closed or more reserved i guess that's Mm -hmm. that would be the opposite there they dislike change they don't enjoy new things they resist new ideas they're not very imaginative and they dislike abstract or theoretical concepts so again i'm somewhere in the middle and i think ah the there's a there's a problem in the world today with personalities if you have seen the new cryptocurrency commercial, who is it? Matthew McConaughey, Fortune Favors the Brave. Have you Might seen be. that one? I think it was, yeah. I was yeah, I think it is him, yeah. No, it's um I thought it was Matt Damon. Was it Matt Oh Damon? it is. You're right. Yeah. Yep, I was you're right. I was thinking of maybe I'm thinking of, yeah, it is. They're both he's... in space movies. Yeah. So <laughs> Yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> <laughs> some of my two favorite movies, yeah. Uh, but so here's here's why I think that's a problem. We think as charismatic people as so awesome, and if you want to be successful, you need to be brave, charismatic, outgoing, and have all these be really high in all of these personality traits. And sure, like if you look at all the successful people, they are really high in these things, but that doesn't mean you can't be successful if you don't have those. Because you can be reserved and have a lot of success. Look at Elon Musk. He's not really open at all as far as like, you know, extroverted or I guess he's open. He's not really extroverted. Yeah. And he's not charismatic. He's not the greatest speaker, but he's the richest man in the world and has had a lot of success. And so you don't need certain personalities or different characteristics to be successful and to achieve what you want in life. Like the the, the world today, especially in America, we... 
say you need to have these, these, you need to have this or you need to have that characteristic to be a successful person. And then when we see ourselves and say, oh my gosh, I'm more introverted than I'm extroverted and people don't like introverts. And that really, you can beat yourself up on that. I know I have in the past and I have tried to be more charismatic and, you know, it's slowly changing, but I'm not trying to be someone I'm not, you know, I'm trying to form that trait to who I am and not to what society deems as the acceptable quote unquote level of extrovertedness or whatever it is. This That's is like, my rant. There, yes. The, and I, I want to touch on that a lot too, that we talked about this before we started recording. There's nothing wrong with being low in one of these scores or maybe being high in one that doesn't seem so, I don't know, like no one wants to be super high in neuroticism because that means typically you're unstable and things like that. But there's pros and cons to be found in every level and every part of the spectrum of each personality trait. Like let's say you are low in openness. It says right here that you dislike change. There's a, I'm sure there's a million different things you could think of how that could be beneficial in your life. Like how could that be beneficial in a certain type of career field? And that's why we brought up earlier, knowing your personality can help you make life decisions. Like if you know that you're low in openness and that you just dislike change and maybe have a hard time with new ideas, what are some career paths or what are some, some life decisions that fall in line with that? I, yeah. I can't think of any, like, let's say like majors or career paths off the top of my head that maybe would fall in line with disliking change or maybe being more by the book, I guess. And with like traditional ideas, mm-hmm. but there's, they're out there and there's plenty of them. And it just, it's a matter of finding what fits you. And just because like you said, fortune favors the brave, maybe fortune favors the open just because maybe that's culturally, that's what we see. That doesn't mean that you can find success in your type of personality. Yeah. Cause there's nothing wrong with being low or, Low in a more desirable trait or high in a less desirable trait. You can find ways to live a normal life based off of your temperament. It's just a matter of finding what fits you and finding people that support and complement your your traits. Yeah. That's what Enoch was saying earlier about finding a, you don't even have to be married, maybe surrounding yourself with people that you're close with and spend a lot of time with that complement or maybe oppose your personality traits to just, yeah, good point. To just develop those traits that you don't have and also help them develop traits that they don't have, but it's become a more balanced whole. And I guess one thing that um, Jordan Peterson says in one of his lectures is he says your capacity to expand your ability past the initial constraints of your biological temperament or personality is the development of character or wisdom. And um, you do that by, in my opinion, by surrounding yourself with people that are willing to help you do that, to develop that character and develop that wisdom because you see the different walks of life, things like that. And so it's possible and it's important, but it's also at the same time, there's nothing wrong with being a certain trait. Right. You know, and I think what it is, is the reason we only see really successful people as charismatic and extroverts is because they are the ones that bring the most attention. Yeah. You know, loud, they're loud, flashy. Yeah. Yeah. They get more views. And so we tend to only see them. When people like, for example, Shia LaBeouf, he's a really quiet dude. Mm-hmm. He really is. And I mean, he's only popular because he's an actor. But when you see him talk and stuff, he's really, he's not loud. He's not very charismatic. He's reserved and just very kind of stoic, you know? Yeah, I think of them. 
Hayden Christian as well. Hayden Christensen as well, the guy who plays yeah. Anakin Skywalker. And watch any interviews, especially with the new Kenobi series. Dude's a super reserved guy. Very quiet. Isn't very loud, but he's successful. He's found kind of his niche. He's found his like the roles that fit his character. Like his yeah. the roles that fit his temperament. Yeah. So it's just all about finding things that fit who you are, not trying to conform yourself to cultural idea cultural ideals. Right. So moving on to conscientiousness. Conscientiousness. Very well mind article says that the standard features of this dimension include high levels of thoughtfulness, good impulse control, and goal directed behaviors. Highly conscientious people tend to be organized and mindful of details. They also plan ahead, think about how their behavior affects others, and are mindful of deadliness. Oof. This might be Deadline. a good one to be. Deadlines. Dead oh, I thought it said deadliness. <laughs> I swear. I have I have dyslexia sometimes because I saw deadliness. It, I didn't see deadlines until you said that. That is so funny. Deadliness. I mean I'm gonna I'm gonna I keep guess. that in there. Deadliness yeah, sure. and deadlines. Yeah. <laughs> people who are high in conscientiousness spend more time preparing for things. They finish important tasks right away. They pay attention to detail and they enjoy having a set schedule. While people who are low in conscientiousness dislike structure and schedules, they make messes and typically doesn't take care of things. They fail to return things or put them where back they back to where they belong. They procrastinate important tasks and they usually fail to complete necessary or assigned tasks. And again, the high is the the ultimate conscientiousness and the low is the ultimate, like the extreme of a person who is unconscientious or unorganized or disorderly. And most people like myself, I tend to lean more on low conscientiousness. I um, I procrastinate things all the time. I, But I also at the same time have a high attention to detail mm. when it comes to certain things. And so yeah. that's why this, the sliding scale of understanding these traits is really important. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And again, I can't emphasize enough that it's not bad. We instantly go to judging people or judging ourselves if we don't have a desirable trait. It's not bad. It's, remember, it's not depending on bad or good. It's, is this helpful or is this unhelpful? Exactly. Like, sure, there are different types or different parts, different traits of that personality type that can be really unhelpful like procrastinating important tasks that's really unhelpful you're not going to very you're not going to get to do much in life if you procrastinate everything mm -hmm. so yeah that's something you can work on but it's not necessarily bad you're not a bad person because you procrastinate important tasks i do all the time yeah a lot every day <laughs> yeah exactly and i think you bring up a good point there with that like if you understand that you are low in conscientiousness you just you understand that you've taken a quiz and you find out that you just you score really score lower in that Let's say you're in school or you have an important deadline at work. You know that you're low in conscientiousness. You might have the tendency to procrastinate that. Maybe yeah. you can ask for an extension or you can set a, you could attempt to set a schedule or become more aware of how much time you have. Just use that understanding of your personality to guide your decision making and to make that, that low conscientiousness work in your favor. Yeah, I guess like you don't necessarily even need to change the fact that you're low in conscientiousness. You just need to learn how to manage it better. Mm -hmm. And if you're high in conscientiousness, there's certain times where spending a lot of time preparing and um, having set schedules isn't the most helpful thing, in my opinion. I think there's right. a lot of instances where being highly orderly and highly organized can be somewhat destructive, especially if that's what you're focusing on all the time and you're mm -hmm. becoming overly stressed with your schedules and keeping your schedules and your 
um, in your preparation of things. It can be, um, anxiety inducing in my opinion. Like, yeah. So I guess the we're, the horse we're beating dead here is that there's nothing wrong with being high <laughs> or being low in a certain thing. It's just finding the most helpful things as part of your score, like Unique was saying earlier. Yeah. And I emphasize that a lot because everyone says, like we've said 10 million times already, it's not bad. But we, our minds always compare, 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 compare. It's just natural at this point in our society as we start comparing ourselves. So just tr- do your best to catch yourself, recognize that, and realize that you can actually benefit and make, have a lot of success with the traits that you have. You really can. Amen. Okay, now we're going to extroversion. Extroversion or extra, extroversion is characterized by excitability, sociability, talkativeness, assertiveness, and high amounts of emotional expressiveness. People who are high in extroversion are outgoing and tend to gain energy in social situations. Being around other people helps them feel energized and excited. People who are low in extroversion or introverted tend to be more reserved and have less energy to expand in social settings. Social events can feel draining and introverts often require a period of solitude and quiet in order to recharge. So, I mean, again, thinking about myself, I'm literally like half of this, like one, one of each, you mm-hmm. know, that's totally me. I'm, I'm a very social person. I like to be like very emotionally expressive when I talk with people and to kind of be exciting. But then at the same time, I don't gain energy around a lot of people. I don't like being around a lot of people Mm -hmm. and I don't feel the urge to go and talk to people. Like I don't care to talk to you in a social social situation. If I don't know you, it's not that I'm trying to be mean or anything. I just don't feel a desire or care to talk to you. I want to go do my own thing. You know? Yeah. If you want to talk, let's talk. I'll be happy to talk with you. Mm -hmm. You're just not going to. I'm not going to put myself out there and go talk to 10 people and say, wow, hi, how are you? Like be jumping around from person to person at a work party or something like that. Yeah. Like that's not me. Like I'll go sit down around some people I know, eat some food. And if new people come up to me, I'll introduce myself and that's it. Be perfectly cordial. Talk to them, everything like that. Like, yeah, it's, you're not going to initiate anything. I'm pretty low on extroversion. Like I am the definition of, of low in a way, like it says disliking small talk. Um, dis- oh, I guess disliking making small talk. I don't, I don't dislike it. I just like making it, but yeah. I'm pretty low on extroversion. I'm very introverted. My, most of my family is my wife jokes that I made her an introvert, but I think she was introvert <laughs> before I met her and she was just living a life as an extrovert. Um, and she says that all the time too. So it's fine that I say that, but, um, but one of the cliches that I've heard a lot is to tell the difference between extroverts and introverts is that extroverts feel like they get paid when they go out to in social situations and they work with people and they have all these conversations and they're around people and introverts feel like they have to give money away to go and mm. do that. Like they, yeah, I like that. It's like giving away coins versus gaining coins. Extroverts yeah. gain coins being out with people. Introverts give away coins yeah. to go out and do that. And, and, and then flip flopping extroverts when they go back into solitude or by themselves, they start to lose those coins and then introverts, they gain those coins back when they're, away from people. And I like in- that. Interesting yeah. little um, thing that I learned in school a little while ago um, with a psychology class is there was this research done, and I'll sum it up really quickly, that um, I can't remember where it was done, who did it, but what they did with people is they would put a drop of lemon juice on their tongue. Hmm. And the people who 
took like a personality quiz and found they were more introverted, they would develop more saliva when like a drop of lemon juice was put on their tongue. And people who were extroverted, like based off of their personality quiz they took beforehand, they found they would develop less saliva. And so the hypothesis what? or the theory that was behind this is that um, people who are introverted, their brain is just already stimulated. It's like it's already going. There's oh, parts of the brain okay. that are already stimulated. And so by adding a little bit more stimulation, it creates a lot of saliva. That was just, that was just the indicator just that they used to say that the introvert's brain was already highly stimulated just by baseline, just by sitting there. Yeah. And so they don't need to go out and get more extra stimulation to have that reinforcement, I guess. Hmm. Yeah. And then if you flip flop it, um, the, the extrovert, they, with the lemon drop, it had less saliva or no, no saliva at all, meaning that they need a lot of stimulation or they needed more lemon drops to create the same saliva as the introvert. Wow. Meaning that it, the extroverts just need a little more stimulation. They need a little okay. bit more out there to get reinforcement, to get something out of life. And I, That's maybe cool. I'll be able to find that study. I can't remember where it was or I learned it in my general psychology class like last year. There you go. And um, it was very interesting to me. That's cool. And it's something that I wanted to test on myself, but it just kind of proves this theory that introverts are just, they don't need extra stimulation to be fine. Like for me, myself, like I love being around my wife, but nothing beats just, just fishing by myself. No one around. Just, I'm just completely alone. Yeah. And that's how I recharge. And my wife yeah. knows that and she'll send me off to go do things by myself so <laughs> I can recharge. And, um, there's people that I know that they need to be around people they start to get depressed yeah and right. so and there's nothing wrong with either way i think this is the biggest indication that there's nothing wrong on either end of this if you're a little too extroverted on the highly extreme maybe yeah you need to take a chill pill and if you're really really extremely introverted to the point of like agoraphobia and like social anxiety and things like that then yeah maybe yeah. you need to work on some stuff go to therapy and figure it out a little bit but i think for the most parts for the most people like the 90 percent that wherever you are on this part of the spectrum, it's just who you are and you just learn how to live your life based off that. Yeah. And that's okay. I think with that analogy of the coins, I think I break even in situations. I oh, don't yeah. gain or I don't give. I just break even. I think, I think that's a lot of people too. Yeah. That, that's just, and I think that's, again, that's perfectly healthy too. I definitely lose a lot of coins going out into the world and being around people. Specifically, I like where I'm expected to mingle with people Ugh, and to like yeah. put on the mask yeah and to show like the part of you that you don't want to show people i guess at least that's how i see some people want to go out and show their personal lives and talk about it but i'll avoid talking about myself and my life as much as i can so like weddings I, I, your what, wedding how was that oh my wedding <laughs> my wedding was so small and so it was perfect and yeah. um i didn't have to go and do that but then like i go to my friend's weddings where like the most recent one our friend neil um, shout out Neil. Shout out Neil. He had a huge wedding. A lot of people were there. That was and awesome. I, that was, it was so much fun, but there were so many people there that I knew. And I, I gave up so many social coins that night. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was in debt for a little while because it was just, it's just difficult for me. Yeah, the drive um, home was nice. Austin and I, we went together with our wives. Yeah. And afterwards, yeah. we were just, it was just uh, we just chilled uh, in the car and drove home. It was great. Yeah. It was good. Yeah. Okay. Now we're going to agreeableness. So back to the article, this personality dimension includes attributes such as altruism, kindness, affection, and other pro-social behaviors. People who are high in agreeableness tend to be more cooperative, while those low in this trait tend to be more competitive and sometimes even manipulative. So going with the 
just trend of seeing where we are on these. I am definitely less agreeable. Like with my Enneagram test, I am an eight, which is the challenger. And if there's something I don't agree with, which can be a lot, I challenge it and I kind of fight for my view. <laughs> it can be a blessing and a curse. I'm pretty high in agreeableness. I've The last time I took this test, it was a while ago. It was when I was in that general psychology class. Okay. And um, when I took it then, I think I've become a little bit less agreeable recently. Um, but my whole life, I've been pretty highly agreeable. I um, I just found it hard for me to um, stand up for myself, I guess. And that is typically what's found with highly agreeable people is they have right. a hard time standing up for themselves. Um, like, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I can't think of it right now. But just sticking that, sticking up for themselves, being mm-hmm. there for themselves and mm-hmm. um, putting their foot down type of thing. And uh, I've gotten better at that. But uh, I am highly agreeable. I I don't like challenging things, and I don't <laughs> um, I don't confront people. I'm really low mm. confrontation, things like that. And uh, I guess that's what it says right here with the highs and lows. That with high people are high in agreeableness. They have a great deal with interest in people. They care about others. They feel empathy and concern for people more often. Um, they enjoy helping people and assisting those in need. And those who are low, they like again. This is the extreme low. So. I don't think Enoch is like this way. This is just the really extreme low. This is just represents what right. people are that are low. They tend to take little interest in others. They don't care about how other people feel. They have little interest in other people's problems. They insert, insult and belittle others, and they manipulate others to get what they want. And so I guess to give you an example of how low and high agreeable people are in the world, low, low agreeable people tend to, are, to be higher paid and have higher positions in companies mm-hmm. and more highly agreeable people tend to be paid less and have lower positions in companies. Yeah. And that just, again, that just leads back to sticking up for yourself, advocating for yourself and fighting for what you feel like you deserve. And that's why people who are low in agreeableness tend to get raises more because they will assert themselves and stick up for themselves and not necessarily insult people or not care about what other people think, but they, like you said, they'll challenge. Like mm-hmm. that is directly linked with someone who's a challenger. Right. I think the Beastie Boys were in the same line of you got to fight for your right to party. That's the Beastie Boys, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So they're in the they're they were on to something. You got to yeah. fight for your right to do things you like to do. To and that's true. Yeah, if you find yourself being really high in agreeableness and you like I don't know, you feel like you get walked all over, people get promotions over you at work, there's other people getting raises and you're not. That's going to be a hard thing for you to change, but like you said earlier, it is possible for to change your personality. You just need to surround yourself with people who are maybe that way and learn from them. And um, it'll take practice. And you just have to do the things that people who are low in agreeableness tend to do, which is assert yourself, stand up for yourself. And it'll just take a little bit of practice. And you can start small, doing it at home, doing it at the grocery store, doing it with friends. And then go into the workplace, do it in school. That kind of build build yourself up to it. But it, it will present itself in unfortunate ways if you're highly agreeable. And like Enix said, you need to fight for yourself. And that just, that doesn't come naturally to people who are high in agreeableness like myself. Right. And I do think the, something about this article is it's interesting to me because with the, with the high in agreeableness or high in all of these attributes, they don't do the extreme high. Do you notice that? In the low, it's it's the extreme low. Like they manipulate others mm -hmm. if you're low in agreeableness. But with high, it says you care about others, you assist others who are in need of help. Mm-hmm. Like that's, to me, that's not high in agreeableness. Or 
that's high, but that's not extreme. It'd be like mid. Like it is comparing with a low here. Like a high agreeable person would, I think, have higher depression rates because they let people walk over them. Mm -hmm. They usually don't get what they want. That's why they don't get paid as much. Mm -hmm. Like that's a really high, extreme high, agree, highly agreeable person is it's not just uh they care about others it's not just a really empathetic person that cares about people like if you're yeah. a 10 like again if zero is low and 10 is high if you're a 10 then like if a 10 is it's a super depressed person because they're really like sheepish and if a zero is maybe like a narcissist or a um a really aggressive person right yeah um they're equally as bad like being that kind of person is just as bad as being someone who does who never stands up for themselves yeah it just gets beat on all the time emotionally mm -hmm. you know you can apply that with all of these things too like it's done that with all of these things with the highs and the lows that there is an extreme high on all these and it's not helpful at all just as unhelpful as the extreme low yeah extremes on either end of the spectrum are not helpful so you gotta try and find find a good medium ground for you Guess which takes us to neuroticism, which is the most yeah. interesting one. Yeah. Um, I guess I can read this one. Neuroticism is a trait characterized by sadness, moodiness, and emotional instability. Individuals who are high in this trait tend to experience mood swings, anxiety, irritability, and sadness. Those who are low in this trait tend to be more stable and emotionally resilient. This is the first one that's kind of swapped where the really high, they tend to, the article makes it look like it's a little bit more unhealthy and the yeah. low makes it look like it's healthy. So yeah. it's kind of flip-flopped on this one. The article, I guess, point you to think that being high in neuroticism isn't necessarily a, a good thing, but what it says is the people that are high in it experience a lot of stress, worry about many different things. They get upset easily. They experience dramatic shifts in mood. They feel anxious and struggle to bounce back after stressful events. And then people who are low in neuroticism tend to be more emotionally stable deals well with stress, rarely feels sad or depressed, doesn't worry much, and is very relaxed. And I would say that I am pretty mid on this one. I've experienced both. But again, um, it is important to note that there is nothing wrong with being high, and there's nothing... <laughs> That's funny. I'm glad you giggled at that. Cause being high in neuroticism. Um, uh, because I, I would say that maybe if you're a little bit higher in neuroticism, maybe you, I don't know, maybe you're just more in touch with uh, like your emotions and maybe you're a little bit more empathetic. Maybe you're also higher in agreeableness and that just you're able to connect with people more. Maybe you're a little bit more of a caregiver and you're aware of people's emotions yeah. and that makes yeah. you more anxious or get upset easily. You're just more in touch with your emotional side, which I don't think is a bad thing in and of itself. If yeah, you're like in the, the mid range of neuroticism, which that word is just kind of scary to me. Like yeah. let's just call it emotional. How about that mid range of emotional? Then I don't see that's a bad thing at all. And I think what a lot of research has found is that women tend to be higher in neuroticism, but women also tend to be the more nurturing parents. And the mm -hmm. more that's why women are really amazing nurses is because they're more focused on people and helping people and attached to emotion and healing emotions and things like that. That's why, like, if you were sad, typically you go to your mom because she'll help you feel better. And, mm -hmm. like, when you're a kid, they'll get, she'll give you a hug and make you feel better. And your dad will more than likely, like, sorry, sport, rub some dirt in it. Like, <laughs> But both of those are very important. You need the dad to help you teach resilience and right. overcoming obstacles. And or I guess you need someone who's lower in neuroticism or lower in emotion to help you with resilience and developing... Um, 
like confidence, I guess. And then you mm-hmm. also need that opposite side where someone's maybe a little bit higher in neuroticism, higher in emotion to help you be in contact with things that are important, like your emotions and your, your emotional state and other people's emotional state and knowing when you're anxious, things like that. So I guess like we've been talking about the whole podcast, it's important to be in touch with both sides of this and understanding that there's nothing wrong with being on either end of the spectrum, mm-hmm. as long as it's not one of the extremes. Mm-hmm. Right. And to close out the article and the episode, the article talks about how these traits are universal. doesn't matter where you are, who you are. All of these traits, I guess, have an, have an impact on you in one way or another. And you can go ahead and take the test down below, which would be fun. But I hope you learned something new. And if anything, just know that the way you are and the traits you have are great. And you can make something big out of it. And you can change. If there are certain traits you want to work on, then you can. And you can expose yourself to those slowly and start to change. But you're not going to change overnight. It just takes time. It takes patience. Like if you want to be more extroverted, because, I don't know, that's just something that you want. People want things for different reasons. If you want to become more extroverted, just for example, you might just need to force yourself to be the person who's going around talking at a party and it might feel super uncomfortable at first and it's not going to come naturally. But over time, like classical conditioning, it's a real thing and it's really helpful that eventually you'll start to see the benefit of why people are extroverts and how that could be beneficial to them and why people like it. And you could start to maybe bump that scale down a little bit more to where you're a little bit higher in extroversion. Mm-hmm. So it is possible, like Enoch said, it's just practice and getting out of your comfort zone. Like most other things when it comes to mental health, it's going to take time and it's going to take a little bit of uncomfortability. Yep. That's even a word. Yep. Growth in your uncomfort, uncomfort in the growth zone. Yeah, there's no growth in the comfort zone and there's no <laughs> there comfort in the growth zone. <laughs> so thank you all so much for listening. If you got it this far, if you liked it, please leave us a rating and review. It really means a whole lot to us. We see you, we see those reviews you leave and it just makes us happy whenever we see them. It's great. And it's great for the for the show as well. So we hope you have a great week, and we will talk to you next week. See you guys. What about, what about therapy? What about, what about therapy? What about, what about therapy? Yeah. What about, what about therapy? What about, what about therapy? What about, what about therapy? What about therapy? What about what about therapy? What about what about therapy? What about what about therapy?